This podcast, produced by 18 to 25 year olds, was entirely recorded in the year of 2020 over Zoom calls, down the phone, and through WhatsApp voice messages. For this reason alone, audio quality may vary. Enjoy the ride. This is the High Frequency. Hey, I'm Aranma. Welcome to the Higher Frequency, a youth music podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Zoka, the author. But before we start, we're going to listen to a sample of his track, The Mindset. There is no Eden, there is no time where we at peace, are we still human beings? You hate to see it, but it's true, we're doomed to be in this vicious cycle that we struggle in that gives life meaning. I'm talking freedom, that's the feeling, where you be speeding on your bicycle down because it's called freewheeling. I'm talking freedom, that's the feeling, where you can breeze in, smash right through the roof and break down the glass ceiling. I'm talking freedom, that's the feeling, you feel that fresh air going in and out your lungs, bread a smile, you're breathing. I'm talking freedom, that's the feeling where you can deal with any of the issues you were deep in. Somebody should do something about that. Who is that? That was the mindset by Zoka the author. Since changing his name from just Zoka to Zoka the author, the lyricist has used his words in combination with his production to tell stories that relate to both the personal and the political. In this episode, I talked to Zoka the author about what he's been working on in lockdown, his views on mumble rap, his reaction to the brutal killing of George Floyd, and what he's got coming up next. But first, we're going to be hearing from our correspondent, Tom Luton, in Cardiff, about the effect of the global pandemic on the live music industry. There's nothing quite like the experience of a live music performance. The energy, the excitement, the communal spirit that defines a great concert is something that everyone can relate to. From the smallest clubs to the largest stadiums, live music brings people from all backgrounds together in a way that no other experience can. My name is Tom, and for the past three years I've lived in Cardiff. During this time, I've been fortunate to see artists who have come from all over the world form in the Welsh capital. Now the city's vibrant music scene remains on hold, its venues lie silent, and this problem is not unique to Cardiff. The music scene is on red alert all across the UK. This is an issue that is deeply personal to me. As a son of a professional musician, I spend much of my childhood in the type of grassroots venues most at risk of closure if actions are not taken. The live music industry is the livelihood of millions of people worldwide as integral to the economy. In the UK alone, the music industry contributes 4.5 billion a year and supports 210,000 people, from sound technicians to video operators, venue staffs and event managers. There is an army of talented, hard-working individuals behind every show. In June, the Music Venue Trust, a charitable organisation founded to improve, maintain and organise music venues, issued a stark warning. Without necessary government support, up to 93% of music venues could close permanently by the end of the year, with a long winter ahead and the prospect of future lockdowns on the horizon. How much longer can the live performance industry withstand the strain of COVID-19? After a sustained social media campaign supported by thousands of artists, including Paul McCartney, Skepta, the Rolling Stones and Dua Lipa, the government made the long overdue announcement that up to 150 venues would share £2.25 million of emergency government funding to prevent them going under, as part of a wider £1.57 billion art relief fund. While this move was welcomed by campaigners, there is still huge anxiety that the government has failed to understand the extent of the challenge facing the industry. 
But if live music as we know it and like to return until well into 2021, only time will tell what awaits the industry on the other side. So we got, we've got Zoka, Zoka in the building. Can we make some noise for Zoka, please? We'll in for some claps. Wow! Zoka, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I'm good, man. How's your lockdown been? Yo, it's been, it's been interesting and weird. Like, for me, it was just very much a time to reflect, I think, um, try and get into better mental habits in terms of how I look after myself and my mental state and stuff. Like, really got me into, yeah, like, really... Uh, introspective time also a very stressful time i was like you know so the segment was talking about like how you know live music was it has been you know one of the hardest hit if not the hardest hit industry been crucified yeah. Sense. yeah um i had my biggest show of my entire life just which you were there for of just, course like, oh we, were, we, was, we was we was there we was outside yeah man um and yeah, it was it was incredible and it was probably the best day of my life. It was my headline show at the O2 Academy and it was like after that, you know, I, I really feel like we did something special that night. And then as a result of that, we were getting, I was getting, sorry, a lot of more opportunities in that field. And, you know, I was I was growing and it was sort of like helping me turn this this passion of mine into like a viable career. And then it, all that momentum just got like... I felt like a car just smashed into a brick yeah. wall, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I had to, like, pick up the pieces. Lockdown has been difficult for everyone, but for up-and-comers in any industry, lockdowns have, is even... You feel the pinch a lot more than you would if you were an established mm. person within any field that you're doing. Mm. But because, you know, we do, like, creative stuff, like, you make music, I present. Lockdown, Lockdown's been a very... It's been difficult because you can see you see things happening within the industry, but the things that are happening are only being done by people who already have had a foot in into the industry that they're in. If that makes sense. So, like, what's your what's your view on that as well? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think yeah, as you said, in any industry where you're up and coming, and that's that's why you know people like students, people who like you know all my age mates as well. Luckily, most of them are sort of landed more or, le- more or less on their feet but there's so many people who are you know stuck in that post-uni abyss which is already a difficult time anyway pre-lockdown sure. they were already struggling like yo applying for jobs getting rejections left right and center and all of that so so much more so now where we're in a recession it's tight <laughs> it's tight for everyone it's not fun it's not fun being being indoors a lot like you said it's a, it's a very introspective time mm-hmm and it's been it's been that way for me myself as well. How is how is being at home and being able to I guess go deep within yourself? How is that shown within your music? It's just, I guess it's all inspiration, really. At the end of the day, isn't it? And you know, particularly for me and the kind of music that I make, I'm someone who very much tries to uplift and inspire. That's my main goal, actually, is to inspire people. So, and the way I do that is to just tell talk to people i guess about my experience that's all i can do really is, is speak authentically about the things that i've gone through is there any music that yeah that we've heard that was made during lockdown or is a lot of the stuff that you've put out recently pre-lockdown music yeah that's because obviously if you were the live show you already <laughs> saw it live so you know yeah so all these you songs, that experience yeah all these songs that i'm dropping now that's that's all um pre-lockdown with the exception of um, I rewrote 
so for the deluxe edition of my EP, which is coming out probably January, you'll hear like I did a couple of remixes of some older tunes um, that weren't released under the Zoka the author name. Um, what made you want to go and do that? I wanted to give some people people some something more. Like there's some songs that I are just bangers from that time, even though you know I wasn't I was still in my training wheels phase, and so I wanted to be like, okay, cool. So now that I'm in professional mode. Here's what I can do with those bangers, yeah. Like at a professional level, do you know what I mean? With all my current experience that I have in terms of developing as a songwriter and stuff, yeah, they come from a more mature perspective. So, for yeah. example, one of the songs is um, a song called "No Chains." Talk to people about "No Chains." So, "No Chains" was a song about um, I wrote a bit over a year ago, actually, um, about a breakup that I went through at that time, which ended very messily. And I wrote it as a sort of therapeutic exercise for me to sort of, like, to make me feel like I'd gotten over that relationship. Yeah. But here's... So that, that's why it's like no chains. I'm not chained to that, you know, relationship to these feelings of love or hate anymore. I was trying to be like, look, I'm just trying to do refocus all this energy, both of, like, love and hate, hateful energy into myself rather than putting it out to you. And, and improve myself for it. I'm dedicated and focused. Despite that, you should know this. I hope your life is the most blessed. But you had me crying the most. This, and that always comes with the consequence. I was a slave to my love. But after the things that you've done, all my chains and I'm broken. Yeah, I don't know. That was the, the aim of the song. And to inspire others to do the same. So instead of like hitting back at their exes. And I wanted to inspire people to not do that. When I was writing that song, I was still in a very much in a place of hurt and I was yeah. trying to convince myself that I wasn't and that carried through in the lyrics. So if you look at the lyrics, even though it's like, yeah, I'm not going to hit back at you, it's still kind of petty. Do you know what I mean? And so I wanted to now, I guess, write that sort of wrong and be like, okay, if I'm going to write a song like this, you know what I mean? I'm going to do it properly. So I, I left the first verse how it is and then the second verse, I changed it into like, a, okay, now looking back, two years ago like being like all right look no i was still being paid <laughs> and uh and i'm sorry essentially and just reflecting on the fact that on the fact that at the end of the day from a more mature perspective like there was stuff that i did wrong in that relationship as well yeah even though like how it ended and stuff was still like there was stuff that she did that was that was very hurtful to me i'm not blameless and it's rarely ever just one person you know at that time the stuff that I dropped you know, it was probably hurtful for her to hear and sort of just apologise for that um, and be like look now I feel like I don't have chains towards this but yeah. you know like at the time <laughs> I was like everything in the past feeling some flames that you left in my heart thought you were chained to broke us apart just like any game I'm broke at the start I got no chains yeah I got no chains so, no change is one of the one of the songs that you've remixed over lockdown. What are the other ones? So the other one is a song called "The Fruit." Yeah, the changes I made to that were just like I'm, I can write a more wavy verse than this right now. The chorus of that song still slaps, so I kept that. But the verses I could do better, and I did. <laughs> so that that new verse, like when you hit, like it, you'll you'll get it. Within within lockdown, how come you decided to go back and 
improve those songs mm-hmm. instead of, I guess, make new ones, which I'm, I imagine you also did that. I also that, did that, yeah. This EP, Reflections, is going to be my first EP under the Zoka, Zoka the author name. And it was really just a way of saying thank you to the people who have been supporting me since before that name. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't want to just start and not acknowledge where I've, what took me to this point. Do you know what I mean? A lot of other artists, I feel like they, you know what I mean? Like so many artists, <laughs> once they get their big song or whatever, their big hit, it's as if they never dropped other music. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like no one will ever know that they were doing all of this stuff except for the people who are really, really there. It makes it makes the person look like they just came out of nowhere. Mm. And what I don't understand is that like sometimes the journey of watching you fall down mm. and maybe not being not be as sick here as you are here now, like that can inspire someone else. So That's literally it, man. And it, it, it has been a bit difficult for me to navigate as well in terms of like coming up because you're looking mm. at these people. It's kind of similar to actually the, the theme of the pedestal, really, where you're looking at these people and it's like they've never done anything shit. Do you know what I mean? Look at someone like Chance the Rapper, for example. Yeah. That's someone that bugs me a lot because his first project was, or allegedly his first project was Tende, right? Like, which was one before Acid Rap. It had, it was a classic, like, it's not a classic classic. Acid rap is a classic. Ten Day is still sick, though. And it got him to a point where he could then make acid rap, right? How is that your first project? Do you know what I mean? Like, how can you be that sick? Like, I'm comparing my first stuff, like, oh, man, like, but this isn't Ten Day, though. It Then it's not good for you, do you know what I mean? Because you're constantly comparing yourself to your heroes. And these are people that you're trying to stand and shoulder to shoulder with as contemporaries, as, as peers. Instead, they're always giants that dwarf you. And so you're like, oh, rah, maybe I'm not good enough to do this. Since its inception as a genre, in the inner city New York of the late 70s, hip-hop has developed, transformed, and made waves across the globe in ways no one could have predicted. From its blues and disco-orientated roots, through to the bold Afrocentrism of the Golden Age. The ornate sophistication of modern greats such as Kendrick Lamar. The birth of grime and drill in the UK. The melodic, raw motion of artists such as Juice World. And the popularization of subgenres such as trap and mumble rap. The genre has shapeshifted and splintered off in countless directions. Hip-hop has broken through countless barriers, transforming from a marginalised underground movement to the worldwide zeitgeist-leading phenomenon it is now. You are now watching the greatest living rock star on the planet! It is one of the most significant musical movements of the last half-century. Despite facing relentless criticism from those blind to the issues it raises, Hip-hop has done more damage to black and brown people than racism in the last 10 years. It's not actually in the last of Hip-hop has a negative, overwhelmingly negative impact on young people. Hip-hop has fought its way through racist condemnation, genre snobbery, and rap purism to become the diverse, multifaceted scene it is today. Given the transformations the genre has undergone over the last four decades, how much could it change for the end of this one? What will the hip-hop of 2030 sound like? Will it still dominate popular culture in the same way? Or will it be replaced by the rise of new musical movements? It's safe to say this is something no one can predict, no matter how knowledgeable they may be. 
Nazoka, you know, what were you listening to around the time you decided that you were going to make music? Um, who did you look or who did you, what eyes did you look to and albums did you listen to as well that made you want to go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this? It's weird because what inspired me to do music was not a particular artist or album. Yeah. But that said, at that t- I think I wouldn't have made that decision were it not for someone like Kendrick Lamar showing me that there was space for the kind of po- like attention to lyricism that I, uh, that I value, I guess, above. Well, that is my brand, I guess, in the game in terms of po- poeticism and, and like really... Being able give- to tell a story exactly. through the music, yeah. Exactly, like really taking you on a journey with his projects, like that thematic kind of cohesion in each of his songs and then the way each song relates with the next song. Telling a story is, is very much my brand. That's all I've, all I've wanted to do my whole life is take people to sort of different worlds, do you know what I mean? And immerse myself in those worlds as well and live in, 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 in these worlds where different things are possible and it's, it's not the same as, as the world that we live in. So uh, later I started listening to Koji Radical as well, who I think was very much a trailblazer for me within the UK scene. For sure. Um, in terms of being like, all right, there's space for that here as well, you know. And uh, also, I guess, formatively, a bit well, a bit more formatively, uh, someone like J. Cole really just spoke to me as an artist when I was younger, like a bit, well, when I was 15 upwards. Um, like, he was really, really touching me. Uh, Chance as well. So those 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 artists, Joey Joey Badass as well, in terms of showing again, yeah, that like lyricism. Do you know what I mean? Lyricism is undead. Yeah, mm, yeah. Um, earlier than that, I, I listened to a lot of Eminem when I was like uh, 12, 12, 13. Yeah, and then I guess before before that, if we're taking it all the way back, all the way back, we need to know what we need to know what's going into the pot to make yeah. this man here. So. So before that, so I only started listening to rap when I was, yeah, about 11. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, like a lot of West Coast rappers there. Like, um, but before that, I was, I was more of an R&B, like swing beat, like I liked funky kind of stuff. So Usher, Mary J. Blige. It's his birthday today, funny enough. Really? Yeah. Oh, shout out to Usher, man. A lot of the artists you mentioned as inspiration within rap, they all have the lyricism in common. Their content can be a bit varied to an extent, but they all still sit in like a, in like a space. So do you believe in like artists labelling themselves and people, I guess, saying that, okay, this is a conscious rapper, that's a mumble rapper, that's a this. Do you believe in those labels or would you rather people just were free to create whatever they want to create. I think labels are useful when it comes to, for other people to digest the art that artists create. I don't think that artists themselves find labels particularly useful beyond helping them to figure out who to market their music to. But like, I think most of the innovators and the best artists do not limit themselves to a label. If you look at someone like Tyler, the creator, Frank Ocean, um, these people do not make music Sampha is another one. James Blake. They don't make music that, like, is limited by genre. Andre 3000, uh, Kendrick. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And so as a result of that, they're free to do what they want. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and create new paths. 
uh, Meriba as well, who's someone who does that, it inspires me. It yeah, you put me on Meriba, she's cold. Yeah. She's cold. I was, I was curious to get your take on, you know, the fact that lyricism is is a very, very much a heavy ingredient mm. in your sound. Yeah. So what's your take on quote-unquote mumble rap? Like, what do you, when the, you look at it, like, what do you... What do you if you feel anything? What do you feel? And what I just do you get different of? stuff from it. I don't think you always have to go to lyricists to get what yeah. you want from music. Do you know what I mean? Like you can get like mumble, like quote unquote mumble rap because a lot of the time these guys are not mumbling. I think it's, it's kind of a disparaging it's a term. term yeah. Point, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, I'd say, I'd say like you know, young trap artists who are doing this type of thing. You know, they're clocked onto a really cool sound. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yeah. they, they should be respected for that. There's, yeah, they're doing a lot of trailblazing cool stuff that inspires me and has inspired other lyricists. If you look at J. Cole on his most recent project, yeah, for sure. KOD, that was super inspired by, by those kind of people. Do you know what I mean? And, this, and even like Middle Child, like you yeah. listen to a beat like that, that's not, that's yeah. not a beat you'd give. Not a gift to J. Cole, but it's mm. not like, oh yeah, this is a J. Cole yeah. type beat. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say with that, I think it's more what he did, his, he did delivery wise, because that beat itself isn't particularly trappy, you know, with the horns and that. True. But it's, it's, it's his auto tune delivery and the flow that he's gone with is very like, yeah, like, you know, it's got the auto tune on it. it. It's very trap influenced. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and even now within trap, I think that's splitting off into sub genres. You've got like your Playboy Carties. You've also got your Travis Scotts, and they sound very different. Do you know what I mean? For sure. So like, <laughs> and there's people make that make that actually. When you if you took their bars away from the sound and you mm. read some of their bars in these quote unquote mumble rap tunes, mm. like these people are actually saying stuff. And also sometimes it's like people just want to have fun. Sometimes yeah. you know? that's what I'm saying. It doesn't always have to be all that. It's literally, you, it just depends on what you get from your music. And yeah. it's good that there are different, like, it's not, I would get exhausted if all I heard every day was Kendrick level lyricism. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's too much. Sometimes it you takes just want to. Yeah, you have to really listen. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Sometimes you just want to chill and just vibe. Do you know what I mean? For sure. And, you know, there's artists who do that. Now we're going to cut to Tom in Cardiff. He's going to talk to us about how the music industry has been affected by COVID. As we have discussed, the performing arts have been particularly hard hit as the pandemic has ravaged economies across the globe. However, all sectors of the economy have experienced staggering levels of unemployment. Across the 37 countries that make up the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, the number of unemployed people increased by 18.4 million in March to 55 million in April. In the USA alone, between February and May, more than 14 million Americans lost their jobs. Whilst the despair and anxiety this has caused for so many cannot be understated, from these circumstances, no opportunities have arisen. Across the world, lockdown has created the perfect storm for political activism to flourish. With so many people being left unable to work, people have been able to fight for causes with unprecedented vigour. The startling resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and the mass protests that followed the tragic death of George Floyd have made waves across the globe. Given the chance to reflect, people have been able to question and challenge the very foundations society has been built upon. Voices that have been ignored have been amplified like never before. But the question remains as to when these voices will become so loud that those in power finally have to start listening. Although the pandemic has left scars that may never heal, could the opportunities it has created bring about real and necessary change? 
Tom uh, shared shared with us another another report, and he brought up you know George Floyd and a lot of the things that went on during lockdown with the Black Lives Matter movement. What was what was that period like for you? Quite upsetting, <laughs> I, th- I think, as it was for any black person really, because all of a sudden you just had hella people like, oh raw racism is real, really, and I've been there like. Yes, fam, we've been telling you this for, for so long. Like, what do you, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, oh, how can we help? Oh, explain racism to me. What? <laughs> just, do you know what I mean? It was just, it was exhausting because it was like the only way that this shit was being taken seriously was by literally having the death of a human put in front of you because before that, you just wouldn't clock it. Like, you wouldn't accept it. Like... I was already growing fatigued of these kind of conversations. Like, it's, it's a pattern that, was, that repeats itself a lot. Yeah. We get, something happens, we get mad, they watch us and listen to us get mad for a little bit, and then it just, it just goes because they know that we're going to only shout for so long, and then after that, mean? the cycle will just repeat itself and people go along with their lives. But yeah. that hasn't, I feel like that hasn't, that hasn't happened. That hasn't happened this time. But in the same breath, it does feel like it's back to normal for me, which I'm not too comfortable with. What happened with George Floyd, I think, was definitely a shift. It was a paradigm shift in terms of where these... And it was it was important and it did a lot for the movement. However, in terms of... It was also a trend. And as all trends do, it led to a lot of really performative changes that don't really address... The root of the issues, issues, exactly. I don't care if the person who plays Missy on Big Mouth is black or white. Do you know what I mean? I don't care. I do care about the statues, but like, there's also more important things. But it's just the fact that even after all of this has happened, you still want to try and scurry around the issue rather than just face it and do what you know is right to do the thing is it's like i don't really expect that from because the root causes of this come from the come from the institutions that are at the heart of how we have organized our society you know these all these establishments that people are losing faith in yeah Yeah. exactly yeah But, um, but at the end of the day the establishments that are at the heart of it, based around human self-interest, and human self-interest is something that never changes. Capitalism capitalizes on that. So we live in a capitalist world, right? A globalized capitalist world, where those at the top of the power structure have a vested interest in ensuring that the power stays there, the money stays there, the wealth stays there. They do not want to share that wealth with the rest of people, which is why I say, you know, until literal the central concepts upon which we organize our society around our entire culture shifts and changes and that is a process that takes ages or takes very drastic revolution you know and until those things change the philosophies upon which our society is based become based more on the common good rather than the good of the people who run the good of the few (laughs) yeah exactly that's a difficult change because you're telling a group of people to say yo at no benefit to yourself, give away what you have. In each of the the issues that we're facing right now, and each of these social justice issues that we're trying to redress, you're essentially asking the people in power to give away that power. 
for no other reason than you know you're appealing to their humanity and that's hard <laughs> that's hard and, and a lot of people aren't ready to do that the biggest gathering london has seen in weeks and one of the most passionate Protesters were peaceful but angry about George Floyd's death in the US, that America's woes of inequality and racism resonated in their lives here. It's, I remember when the whole black squares thing was happening and I was like, yeah. how is this productive? Like you're literally blacking out information that would be useful for people to see right now. And I remember being a bit annoyed about it and I remember having a conversation with my girlfriend at the time. She was like, look, yes, but at the same time, like, any activism is still activism. Like, that might still be the first step for someone. FIFA is a global game. Do you oh, know so what I mean? it could be someone else's introduction. Exactly. To so someone, some kid in Russia who's never seen a black person in his life, but has, owns a PlayStation. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, the, and that's their, their, like, seeing their hero, they maybe love football, seeing their hero, Messi, best footballer in the world, having that on their t shirt, it might do something for them. Do you know what I mean? For us, so it's important, I guess, to not, not, not to be too disparaging about, like, all these different act, forms of activism. Um, I think all we can do is just promote the forms that are, like, we feel like our most useful. most useful and stuff yeah. and, and productive and just do and genuinely, everyone just genuinely do what they informative can. too exactly yeah stuff that does stuff do you know what I mean like everyone should just do what they're comfortable with doing and I think that's all that they can ask for because whilst all these things are important change is going to be slow and at the end of the day you need to live your life I know I have people who like are, are friends with me on like social media and stuff who like are far more active in this thing than I, that I, than I am you know what I mean? And sometimes they'll encourage me, like, oh, no, you should come and do this. Come canvas. Come, do you know what I mean? I don't know, like, work for the renters union and, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And and I had, so I had to tell them, like, yeah, like, whilst these, I appreciate what you're doing and I think it's great and important, I do not have the time to do that right now. And it's not like, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to contribute to the cause in my own personal way, way yeah. but I'm not going to, like... I can't dedicate my life to it in the same way that you do because I have a certain level of self-interest as well and I want to do I want to do what makes me happy. So, like, whilst, you know, we all need to do as much as we can and, and not be complacent, but I think do what you're comfortable with doing. The devastating impact the coronavirus outbreak has had on live music has forced artists to radically rethink the place of their art in the world. From Facebook Lives and Fortnite concerts to driving gigs... Artists have had to use the resources available to them to bring the experience of live performance to their fans. So this has got me wondering, is this the blueprint for live performance moving forward? And if so, who'll benefit from the increased focus on virtual performances? In February and March of this year, scores of people turned to music to comfort them. At the same time, many artists were live stream performances from their own homes. However, what began as a way for artists to connect with their fan bases has swiftly progressed into a highly lucrative business model. In April, over 27 million Fortnite users attended a series of virtual concerts performed by US rapper Travis Scott. In June, the South Korean boy band BTS made nearly 20 million from a single virtual show. It is clear that for artists who have already amassed large fan bases, virtual performances present a highly profitable opportunity. 
what about younger, up-and-coming artists? Not only are there opportunities to grow their fan bases on hold, the loss of the much-needed revenue on the gig circuit is having a very real financial impact on their lives. So, last latest two singles have come out, Unintentional Flex and Pedestal. We'll start with Pedestal, I guess. Okay, so what inspired the pedestal? About a year ago, back when gigs were a thing, back in the time before COVID. So, um, simpler, simpler times, you yeah, know. <laughs> better times. Um, yeah, so I went to the, the the concert of an artist who I really, 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 really highly look up to, and I'd seen this guy perform a few times. And during this concert, I see there's this this kid, this little white kid, super skinny. He's elbowing his way to like the front, and he's like so visibly anxious to get to the front like he needs it and I was like what the fuck and then he and all this guy wanted like and it was crazy just I'd never seen this level of like whatever like adoration or I don't even know what it was but all he wanted was to touch this artist's hand he wanted this artist to touch him on the hand once that happened he was he was good. Do you know what I mean? But like he needed that. Like he was. Well, he he needed, turned round and left the front row. Yeah, yeah I didn't see him after that. Okay, okay, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like he wanted it to that extent. Like I was like, this guy is just a human being. Like, why do you need him? Just someone to touch your hand that badly? Like, what is going on? But then at the same time, when the concert ended, this guy, this artist, often likes to sort of jump down and speak to people and stuff. He recognized my the two people I was with. He didn't recognize me. Like he mentioned them by name, but he didn't recognize me. And I felt bad about that. Like I, w- I felt like I wanted him to recognize me. Like I wanted that validation from him because this guy is one of my heroes. Do you know what I mean? And that, that experience bugged me because I realized that I relate both to the position of the artist and to that of the kid who just needed this validation from someone who, at the end of the day, was just a human. And so. Yeah, and so it's it's just putting those two things in, in conversation with each other, really. So that's that's what the the, the pedestal is about. Talk to me about um about unintentional flex because that came out before. Yeah, so un- unintentional flex is like so the way I'm releasing these songs is actually in the order that they are in the EP as well. Yeah. So unintentional flex is like the step just before that in terms of this journey, in the sense that it's the creation of this false not false self but like. This ideal self. The higher self. Yeah. I didn't even expect that people learn to expect. That's why I stress. Yes, read I've slept before three. My text make it seem ever less when I'm leaving. The rest of my peers, then I'll rest. But that's not till I've left legacies of a legend. There's a bit of a disconnect between this person he's trying to be and this, this character he's trying to step into and where he's at. The, the song is painting that real picture of, like, he's really trying to convince himself, like, yeah, this flex is unintentional. Do you know what I mean? That this guy is like, yeah, I can I can beat him without even trying. But yet, like, it's very clear that he's trying. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Through the actual, like, if you look at it. But that is all stuff that is very kind of beneath the, in that like you'd have to really really like be looking at the lyrics intensely to clock that like you know on the surface it is more or less just kind of a flex track but um or at least like my version of that in the sense of like 
again, it being authentically about things that I actually do and want, but aren't like, yeah, like rather than like, you know, stuff that I don't actually have. What's the, what's the name of the EP that the people know? Reflections. Well, uh, what's, do you have any uh, parting words before we, before we wrap up? My parting words would just be, I guess, this flipping difficult time right now. So whilst, you know, my, my general thing is do what you got to do, sometimes what you got to do is just be kind to yourself because Facts. the world is not a kind place right now and it's important to just be nice to yourself. And that doesn't necessarily mean just slack off, but it might do sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Give yourself space to do what you have to do. Do you know what I mean? And don't worry about the rest of it. So, yeah, do what you got to do. Thanks to my guest, Zoka the Author. You can find him on Instagram at Zoka underscore the underscore author. You've been listening to the Higher Frequency Podcast with me, Aramal Honsi. Our correspondent was Tom Luton, and the episode was produced by Felipe Airy Franco. This podcast is a bold-faced CIC production for youth music, led by Femi Oregon Williams. Thanks to Notion Magazine for being our official media partner. Next time on the Higher Frequency. London isn't the only way. London is flipping expensive, man. I think if you're from a small city, you have a, a small obligation. If you've, you know, done well for yourself to connect with the city, to allow people that were like you to think like you, to think better than you, to do to do better than you. The London music scene. Everybody in the UK is familiar with that. Whereas with Manchester, only if you're from Manchester would you get it or would you know about it. A lot of our music is very, very chill, relaxed, but it also tells our own story. Previously. Things have been very London-centric, but I feel like each individual city now is garnering its own flavour.